0: Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And a guest who has known my wife longer than I have. That's uh, right. But that's not why he's here. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're listening to uh, the voice of Drew Hill. Drew. Hello has been in student ministry, in various and sundry denominations, and uh, NGOs, and you name it, and, and he's been engaged with it in student ministry. Uh, he wrote a book last year that's a great book that is super practical. You know how much we love practical. And it's, a, it's kind of a companion piece to come alongside students, whether you're a parent or a person in student ministry. Uh, I would say it's it's really good it's called alongside and uh, Ooh, Drew I see Hill. What you did there did you see that I see that yeah that's yeah. pretty good, <laughs> that pretty good. You, know, you should do this every once in a while uh no but the but the big thing is you know we're we're here of course to, to talk to him about leadership in general uh, but any anytime one of our guests has a, a great resource we want to um, to highlight that as well so
1: thanks Thank you y'all so being much here. for
0: having me this is awesome to be with you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Well, my name is Drew. I'm a pastor in Greensboro, North Carolina, and have been here for the last 10 years. Lived in Colorado and in Georgia, and married to Natalie for 15 years, and we have three children. Honey is nine, Hutch is six, and Macy Hart is four. You didn't and, go for another H? That's- I mean, we're, we're trying. I'm trying to convince her, but she's, she's pretty burned out right now. She's trying to do homeschool three days a week. We do a weird school model where it's called a university model school, three days at home, two days at school. And she's trying to teach all three of them. Today is one of those homeschool days. And so it's not a good day to ask her if she wants to have another kid.
2: (laughs) Yes. You got to choose those days
0: carefully. Man, you got to go. You got to join the four club. I'm telling you. (laughs) I would
1: like to be there, honestly. It changes uh, your life. Uh, okay. It changes your it kids' lives
0: to too, because as soon as you have four, something magic happens and people go, or the the children go, you know what? I'm not gonna get my way. I may as well give up. <laughs> really? <laughs> Capitulate. Are you serious? Which ones? Kind of. Um it, it you at least can have somewhat of a more reasonable conversation about themselves. I think they became
2: That's how it slightly is as they get older though.
0: Selfish. Okay. I but I'm telling you the magic thing was when they Quatro entered the picture.
1: <laughs> well, the magic thing for us has been our oldest, Honey is her name, which is a pretty good name if you live in the South. And um, she is nine and she has just gotten to this place where we can trust her to babysit. I don't know if it's legal or not. And if this is published in <laughs> the air, I could get arrested. But um, we went on a date last night. And no. left our kids home with our nine-year-old. Um, That's brave. You just brave lost man. half our list. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Or no. Our, our, they, my, now they want to hear more
0: about this. You've intrigued the other half, so it's okay. Uh,
1: my cousin lives next door and she was home. And so, they're, you know, it's not as bad as it sounds. But we did have a two-and-a-half-hour dinner date with four other couples that we've been in a small group with for the last eight years. So that was a, such a gift to not have to pay a babysitter.
0: Um, hey, I,
2: I get that. Yesterday we at the church, I'm a teaching pastor at, we had a staff leadership, uh, team dinner with all the couples. And we basically put all the kids in one house. Now the <laughs> oldest was 16 and there were a couple 14 year olds. And, and then, you know, it ranged all the way down from my nine, eight year old, bunch of those, and then a few four five year olds. So it was, it was like probably 12, 13 kids in that house, being the gauntlet, locked uh, yes, the door to the flies. Oh, it it was amazing though. I mean, we were out for like three and a half, four hours. Came back and they're all just still having fun. So I was like, amazing. we got to do That's this like, more damn. often. <laughs>
1: We have our basement. We have six mattresses. Uh, when you're, when you're a pastor, people just give you stuff. You know how it is. You know, it's like, Hey, you want my couch that we've had for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so we've got all these old couches surrounding these six mattresses in our basement. It's kind of like a trampoline park in our basement. And we just throw the kids down there and they jump around on top of each other and will entertain themselves for hours. And it's so my a, wife
0: did grow up with you, but then you you guys served together in Young Life uh, when you were both at Chapel Hill. Wait, I didn't know your
1: wife served at served oh, in Young Life. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. She was at, she was at Southern Durham. I was at Northern Durham. Uh, okay, yes, I still keep up with so many of those leaders. It was the, the Lord was really doing something during those years at Carolina. I was there ninety six to two thousand and. I actually had a kid who was in our church who's now a student at Carolina text me last week and he said, hey, I was reading this book about revivals in college and it mentioned Carolina in 1997, this thing called forest fire that Clayton King spoke at. Were you there? I was like, yeah, I was there. And I didn't realize it at the time, but what was going on at Carolina was really unusual. I mean, I had thousands of Christian friends. While, while we were there, you through Campus Crusade for Christ and Young Life and InterVarsity and all these other ministries It was just booming. And I'm so grateful for that experience that I had.
0: Very cool. Well, uh, I was trying to explain to folks why you still have six mattresses surrounded by couches in your basement. That's a very Young (laughs) Life move there, buddy. It is. It is a Young Life thing. All right. Well, uh, let's get into our questions because now I'm really
1: intrigued. Uh, who are you learning from? Um, you know, I, uh, I've really been learning the most lately from the apostle Peter. And I've just been thinking a lot about his friendship with Christ. Um, this has been the past year for me, it's probably been the the most trying season I've ever been in. I stepped into the lead pastor role of our church in August and my book came out in August and I've been speaking more and I still work part-time with young life and with the increased responsibilities at church, I've just felt like, man, I, I can't do this. I feel like I've got to either fake it um, or just burn out and go do something completely different. And um, I've felt called to ministry since I was 13 years old. But as I look at the Apostle Peter's life, I, I've been able to resonate with a lot of his own failures and um, and just the way that Christ restored him in John chapter 21 and the way that Christ looked at him in the eyes after Peter denied him. And um, I, I've just really been encouraged by, by Peter's failures and giving me a little bit of hope that God doesn't call people who have it all together and people who know how to do it, but he, he walks with us and that he loves us just as Christ loved Peter. And he's been, um, he's been a, a dear companion since um, this past summer for me.
2: It's good. So what what does that look like? Um, you mean are you are you reading other books about Peter as well, or are you primarily just reading through? The I read
1: I read an awesome book um, by Michael Card about Peter. Um, it's called a, a Fragile Stone, and um, and then I've read a few other um, pieces and articles that people have written, and really just tried to spend time looking at each of the gospel accounts of his life and and understanding what his Friendship with with Christ look like and, um, and kind of applying that to me on a on a daily basis of like all right I f- I feel like every day I fail every day I don't know how to be the leader that I want to be I mean I listen to these leadership podcasts and I read the leadership books and I mean the stack beside my bed would look really impressive to anybody I had somebody yesterday say Drew you have so many books you must be so smart you and I was like well I buy a lot of books and I read the first three chapters of a whole lot of books, but um, the reality for me is um, my, my relationship with the Lord has, has been much more influenced by scripture than it has by these other books that I've read about these. And whenever I can spend time in the gospels, really allowing the life of Christ to shape me, that those are the days that I really sense a newness of life and, and a lighter experience of Christ carrying my burdens.
0: You know, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned Michael Card and it's been a long time since uh he's been mentioned on the podcast, but and I don't think,
2: think anyone has ever mentioned Peter. No. As someone they're learning from either. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um I mean, Geiger, when he was on uh here on the regular at some point in time early on, um he you know, he mentioned just the huge impact that Michael Card had on him and uh, honestly cool. you know me myself you think about some of these guys um like Michael card and you're like man that was such a pivotal moment how did I forget that or you know why don't I recognize why don't I recommend that or I mean um I was just talking to Clayton King last week he was here with his wife filming some stuff at lifeway for uh, a new couple's thing and you you look at at people like that that have I mean Clayton's not old. Um, but he's been around for a while and, you yeah. know, that whole thing, you, you just, you never, I think we highly underestimate, you know, some of those, um, some of, not only the, it's the pivotal moments and pivotal books. And I don't know why we're not better at capturing that.
2: Hmm.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember when he spoke, uh, when Clayton spoke at Carolina and, he does this amazing Ric Flair impersonation. You know, I'm a wheeling, dealing, smiling, stealing, jet flying, limousine run, son of a gun, diamonds are forever. But so am I. Just step up and face me, baby, because I'm your reality. You know, he would just like go <laughs> on and on. I, I was a big <laughs> wrestling fan as I was a kid. I can tell. Um, but yeah. I remember like Clayton King doing the woo, you know, because Ric Flair. Oh, yeah. From Chapel Hill. and.
2: Um, oh, I didn't realize but, he was from there.
1: Yeah, but he... Um, But I mean, there was, there was a lot more spiritual content than the Ric Flair piece, although that ushered us into the presence of
2: God. (laughs) That's probably what everyone everyone left remembering. remembering.
1: I I do remember it being influential on me. And I mean, reading Michael Card's book um, last summer was, I mean, it was, it was shattering for so many of the walls that I had built up uh, as far as understanding how God looks at me. It really did like, um, draw me into deeper intimacy with, with Christ. And I'm so grateful for the saints that have gone before us this uh, past Sunday at our church. We celebrated world mission Sunday. I don't think it was the national world mission Sunday, but we made it ours. Um, and, uh, we had one guy get up to read scripture and he read, he speaks seven languages and he read the, the text in all seven languages. And before he read each different language, he talked about the year that the Bible was translated into that language and the saints that went before to translate those, you know, to do the hard work of translating the text. And it just reminded me of, of how everything that I know and believe is really built on the saints that have gone before, you know, and the Christ's plan for the church to be the hope of the world. And I'm so grateful for for those folks that influenced me. That's so
2: great. Now, Drew, you said in earlier in the bio, you have a lot of experience. I mean, you've been working with Young Life for quite a while, but this last year, you stepped into the lead pastor role at your church. So with that, and um, I mean, feel free to speak into that context or even into the Young Life context. But when you look at your leadership team, what is your main point of emphasis these days?
1: Now. Nope. One of the things I love about our, our church staff is um, we, when we meet for our staff meetings each week, we spend the first hour together um, on our knees in prayer and confession and in scripture. And we use the daily office to guide that time. Um, But there's not a Tuesday that we meet that I'm not really impacted by the word of the Lord that is at, at work in my life and in other people's and getting to hear that. And um, I'm a pretty efficient person. I like to do things well I like the quick meetings uh, I want to get in and get out but um, that the practice of us spending a full hour um, in God's word and in prayer together has been really instrumental in forming us as a staff team and we've been doing that for the last nine years that I've been here. Also I you know just had a phone call before this and we have um, with one of my staff folks who, we require everybody on staff to take a day of solitude each month. And I I learned that practice with young life. Young life calls them dog days, days alone with God. And you have to put it on your calendar and your supervisor, you know, checks in with you and you have to let them know like where you're going and what you're doing. And, um, so for, for us as a church, we've implemented that as well and asking folks to, to take their days. And, I had a phone call before this with one of our staff members saying, hey, I don't think I can take my Sabbath day tomorrow. And I know it's scheduled. And so can I do a half day? And I said, no, you can do a full day next week. Go ahead and plan it. And I'm telling you this because I want you to hold me accountable to that too, because we get so focused on efficiency in our world and productivity that in those in those spaces of solitude, it's a furnace of transformation. That's what Henry Nouwen calls it. And we've got to allow the Lord to... To strip us of our productivity, so we realize that he doesn't need us, but he wants us, and we need him desperately. And so, those two practices for us have been really instrumental in forming us as a staff team in a church.
2: So, what does that look like then? The solitude. Give us an example of a few days.
1: Uh, yeah. So we uh, we would what we started doing is we would go together as a staff one day a year, and we go to a, a retreat center called Saint Francis. Um, and it's about 45 minutes north of Greensboro and it's a Catholic retreat center and they have um, really great meals they serve you and there's rooms where you can stay overnight but we would go for the day and start everybody off together by praying together then send everybody off into the woods or into different rooms they have a library and a fireplace room and a couple of different prayer chapels that you can go into um and everyone go and spend some time alone with the lord and one of the things that i like to do during that time is we we take everybody's phones and we and you can't take a big stack of books to read but we just take journals and i take the valley of vision have you are you familiar with the collection of puritan prayers Very. The valley of, they're they're amazing and um you know i go on i go on amazon all the time to try to buy buy up the old copies but i would encourage you to pick up the valley of vision and it's just a collection of prayers and I encourage folks to do this practice that I do of just taking the prayers and reading them and kind of rewriting them in a journal in our own words, or taking one of the psalms and doing that. And then we also use um, this book called *Journey with Jesus* by Larry Warner, that um, really he focuses on the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius, and we try to do some of those together—the Divine Reading and the Lectio Divina—and the uh, imagination prayers and some other practices that he does in there. And so sometimes we'll do those things together as a group, but when we go alone after we've learned how to do those in a group, then we'll do those Ignatian practices and exercises individually as well. All
0: right. it's good. All right. So uh, you've already talked about uh, prayer and the importance and prominence of prayer and scripture and, uh, what are two or three things, or maybe one or two things, that you find that you have to do every day to continue to lead well?
1: You know, I uh, I texted my wife yesterday and I said, I think I'm going to need to text Todd and tell him I can't be on this podcast because I just am not doing well right now. I just feel like I'm in this spiritual slump. I feel like I'm either going to have to fake it and lie on this podcast that I am leading well, um, or, you know, I'm, I'm just going to not need to be on it. And I went to our staff team yesterday after our staff meeting, we have our preaching team time and we spend an hour every Tuesday with our preaching team, hearing the sermon for the upcoming, for the Sunday that's 10 days out and giving feedback on it. So it can be massaged and kind of fixed to give the, the following Sunday. And, we have a, we have a unique model at our church where we have a preaching team of eight folks and I preach once a month and other folks preach those other days. And it's been a really, um, I mean, it's, it's definitely taken the personality worship aspect out out of the church. You know, a lot of, a lot of people go to the church because they love that one lead pastor and I love speaking and I, I love preaching and I love doing that, but it also is really time consuming. And, um, and it also can make me get a big head when a lot of people tell me I have a good sermon. But, mm. um, it all, so to sharing the pulpit has really been a gift, um, in our, in our church. And we've been able to raise up a lot of dynamic preachers. And so we, yesterday we're in the preaching team time and I just started weeping in front of all these folks. And I said, you know, I can't do my next preaching day. I was like, my life is too full right now. I said, I just don't feel like I have a lot to offer. So my last two sermons I've given, I've said the exact same thing from up front, like that, I, that I'm not at a place where I need to be um, preaching right now. And, and I was like, I, I can't keep saying this to the congregation. And um, like I've got to get to a place of health because I don't want to give people a tour of a place that I, that I haven't been. You know, I can't lead people to a place where I'm not. And so for me, those things that I've got to absolutely do daily in order to be healthy in my life and leadership, like I just have been neglecting those because Mm -hmm. of busyness. And, you know, part of me doesn't want to out that and I want to act like I've got it all together and I, and I can spin all these plates, but being a lead pastor has been way harder than I ever thought. I mean, I I really thought I was going to be able to do it well, but just, it is, it has been, it's just kicked me really hard. Um, and and so I've just really had to depend upon the Lord, but instead of depending upon the Lord, what I've been tending to run to is just busyness and productivity and more. I've got to get this email inbox cleared. I've got to do this. And I just started reading Tim Chally's book on, um, do more better. Um, you know, cause I'm trying to figure out all right, how can I be more productive and get all these things done. But the reality is I know those things I need to do every day. Um, and, and I'm not, and I'm not doing them. And, yeah. um, so, that's that's the real drew yeah
2: well well drew we appreciate your honesty and and vulnerability there and uh but i'm curious what what aspects of leading um and being a lead pastor were more were most surprising to you um and and what do you find yeah that has just really been
1: kind of brought you to the place you are right now you know um I was an associate pastor of youth and worship before I stepped into this role. And uh, when you're in that role, I I knew a lot of brokenness in our church. um, And I knew a lot of brokenness, especially with our teenagers and and their families. But as I've stepped into this role, I feel like I've experienced a a much heavier weight than I even knew existed. um, in just understanding the brokenness that is happening in the lives of our adults and in marriages and in the secrets that have been kept hidden for so long. And I think bearing that weight and not knowing how to fix it has made me wish I had a lot more counseling classes in seminary and made me wish I had a lot um, more resources um, to, to send people to, but that's been a big piece of it. Just the spiritual weight. And I mean, honestly, I feel like I've been under spiritual attack. I feel like I've just been tempted in ways that I have not, I'm not used to being tempted in one of those temptations, you know, not just the area of lust that we think about when we think about guys, but for me, the temptation has been money. And I've never been a lover of money. I grew up with a, my dad was in ministry at our church and my mom was a public health nurse. And we always had whatever, you know, we needed basically, but I didn't grow up in a wealthy family. And, you know, now I'm speaking more and I'm able to bring in a little more income from the book and, and I got a little bit of a raise when I stepped into this role and it's made me want to like, I want to build a deck on the back of our house and I want to look at these like house hunter shows and I want I want to change our house this way. And I've struggled with this greed that I've never faced before. And it's like reared its head of ugliness in me. And I, I just, I've I I not known how to deal with it because I've never never experienced that before. And then I think the third thing for me, First, just the the spiritual weight of of the brokenness of people, and the second, my own ugliness and and greed and and temptations, and then thirdly, just the sheer amount of people to to care for and to manage and to shepherd. And I feel like the the biggest tension I struggle with every day is: am I a CEO or am I a pastor? You know, and I and I've read Eugene Peterson working the angles, and I've read his book, The Pastor, and I know my primary responsibilities are the word of God and prayer and caring for people's souls and, and counseling them and shepherding them. And yet it feels like 50 hours of my week is email and meetings and not doing those things. And so I just, I still don't know how to, to manage that tension of, of how to do it. Yeah. What, what does your team look like around you? We have three full-time staff folks and 20 part-time staff folks. And um, part of the transition has been our rector of our church has, has moved into a a national leadership role with the Anglican church in North America. And wait a second. Yes. And, uh, Dan, Dan Alger, Dan Alger. Dan Andrews come. He's yeah. He's gonna be at our church. He's moving here this summer. Yeah. Okay. Wait. But he's not. He's not the one I'm talking about. Alan oh. Hall okay. About. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, hey, I know Dan. Dan well, Andrew's it's
2: still a transition. small world. Yes.
1: The dude's coming there. Yeah. So, that's crazy. Yeah. No, yeah. So, yeah, so Dan's moving here this summer. He's actually preaching this Sunday at our
2: church. Oh well. Be sure to say hi.
1: I will. Uh, yeah, I'll, we're good friends I there. <laughs> I went to college with him and Karen. And no we did way. A crew together <laughs> in Carolina. Yeah. See.
2: This is meant to be, Yeah. I was wondering, I was like, uh, yeah, especially no, with so, being in so Greensboro. A-
1: Alan Hawkins, um, was our rector and he okay. is now the, the COO of the Anglican Church in North America. And so him and Dan, um, are actually going to office together starting the summer in Greensboro. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but outside of that, we have, you know, uh, five different part-time children's people. We have two youth people. We have a worship person, the AV person, the grounds person. We actually have a church farm. We bought a nine acre farm uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago and trying to grow food to feed the hungry and to care for the earth. And it has been a a big undertaking, but we have an um, amazing woman who runs that for us. She got her master's in theology and in agriculture at Duke Divinity School. And um, she's crushing it. Her husband is our college minister and we have a female College minister as well, and okay. um, so I mean, yeah, there's a, a pretty big team of people. But right now, I, I don't really know the the correct way to build a system to mm. keep all these people. You know, it's a lot of direct reports right yeah. now. Okay, okay. So, um, so this is this is fascinating
2: for us to talk through this, and I know we're veering off the questions just a little bit, but um, <laughs> it's how what we do best? Yeah, it is what we do best. How was the transition for you then? In going from the number two guy to, to the number one guy at your church, what did that um, look
1: like? <laughs> I mean, it was very abrupt. We uh, we had, we we anticipated that happening in a, ye- a year. We anticipated it happening next August, and it happened this past August. And I had wait. I had, so uh, okay, a, so
2: when did you first?
1: I what, started August sixth in the lead pastor role, and then my book came out August 20th.
2: Okay, but when you started on August sixth, how much lead time did you have? From the time you knew it was going to happen to it taking place,
1: one day. Oh, one day. One day. Yeah, it was a phone call. It was like, "Hey, (laughs) this is happening right now."
2: So, did you did you think it was going to be a possibility for you to be the lead pastor one day?
1: Yes, we had we had talked. We had recently begun talking about it happening in August, a a year from then. (laughs) Um,
2: Dude. Okay, so walk us through that. I mean, it's. I mean, I think it, everything intensifies when your book comes out the same month too. But, you know, talk to us from the church side of it. How did your staff well, take it? Just, you know, yeah.
1: You know, I mean, I've been there for almost a decade. And um, and I think people, you know, people have it, took it really well. And we've been talking about the transition eventually happening. But there you know, there wasn't a lot of runway at all. Um, Alan's job quickly changed. and And so when his changed, mine changed. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other moving pieces that, you know, we don't need to get into on the podcast, but, um, I've been re- I mean, the staff and our congregation has been really gracious and, um, trying to support me and trying to help me. But I think the, you know, the thing that I'm facing is every one of our staff members, and it feels like every person in our church, just is so spread thin and so overcommitted that I feel like I, I can't delegate more to people. I feel like I'm putting this weight on them. And so I just want to do it myself. But as I've gotten closer to this point of burnout and Lord help me, please I've become this place of, I've got to delegate things. And then what that what's happened there is I've just had to get to this place of, okay, I've got to let things not be as good as I want them to be. And, um, you know, we just got into the Enneagram last year, my wife and I, and I know there's mixed opinions oh, about it. what it. well, what's your number? I'm a what do you think, I am? I'm a three. You know, yeah, like okay, I, yeah. I, I'm a three I, um, too. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's awful because I I want things to look like I've got it all together. And I want things to like our, our church to look like we're flowing, you know, and like things are not broken. Um, and yet it's just been really hard to hide the reality. I mean, I've gained like fifteen pounds in the past year, and um and, you know, and my church knows like I'm trying to lose weight right now and and so like all the kids and my, like I got an Instagram direct message this morning from a kid in my youth group. Was like, Hey, do you want to go run with me? It was like 5.00 AM. I was like, no, I don't want to run with you at 5.00 AM. I can't even run a mile right now, you know, and I used to be in decent shape. Um, and so they know that I'm struggling and I've told them that I'm struggling, but I didn't want to put that burden on them. So what I feel like I've had to get to this place of like, Hey, we're not going to be as polished right now as I want us to be. And that's okay. And it's one of the reasons I ended up in the Anglican church because yeah, I was in the, the church world where, you know, everything needed to look perfect and bigger is better. And Young Life does a great job of putting on an amazing summer camp and doing things really well. And I learned that excellence honors God and inspires people from my Andy Stanley days. And, you know, and I want and I want to do these things. And I believe that, you know, God has gifted me in some ways to do things excellently. But this past season for me has been learning to fail um, in put in, in public in front of other people. And Ryan O'Neill, the band sleeping at last. Are you familiar with his songs about the Enneagram? No. no. Oh dude, you got to go check this out today. Today, <laughs> go to, go to sleeping at last sleeping and at go last. listen, go, go listen to his podcast. He does a podcast on each Enneagram number. That's crazy. Um, there, um, it's like an hour, hour and a half podcast. And he's written mm-hmm. a song about each Enneagram number. And I've listened to the, the song it's titled three. I've listened to it probably 200 times. And um and I still just like tear up listening to it. But when you listen to your song about your number, it is just I mean, he's just he I think he's like one of the most gifted people that God ever made. The guy's unbelievably brilliant. And um but yeah, I don't know if my,
0: this is gonna be is, funny oh. or funny or um or or intentional. No, no, Dude, no, I'm no,
2: subscribing no. right now. That sounds
1: awesome. It is it is super awesome. But his song about the Enneagram three is he says, you know, at the end of the song, he says, he kind of talks about the path of transformation, put your failures on display with an asterisk. And then the asterisk, the last line of the song is worthy of love anyway. Mm. And, um, and it's just like, do I really believe that God loves me if I don't produce? Mm. You know, and, and I think that I'm still fighting that. I mean, I'm going to counseling tomorrow and I'm trying to like dig into things that I've never dug into before because I want to, I want to get to the root of why do I feel like I've got to be impressive to God and to people.
2: That's real. man. thank you.
0: Yeah. So what does leadership in your home look like other than mattresses and couches <laughs> thrown together?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean that it's been more of a struggle in this season. Um, you know, Natalie and I, when I, about six years ago, I came home one day and she handed me a calendar and it had um, how many hours I'd worked each day and each week all added up. And, and I looked up from the calendar, you know, that had the numbers like 92 and 88 hours and 78 hours this week on the on the piece of paper she handed me. I looked up and she like had tears in her eyes and she said, we can't keep living this way. Mm. And it was the first time that I realized like how my addiction to ministry was crushing my wife and my family and we just had our second kid. And, um, and so I got stripped of all my preaching, um, responsibilities. I got had to clock every hour. We had to go to marriage counseling and we worked through it. And the Lord really did renew my love for my family. Before that, I really felt like I loved ministry more than my family. And I told Natalie that, and that was like crushing for her to hear, but she knew it because of the way I lived, but there was this transformation that happened in me because I'd gotten the, the carpet pulled out from underneath me and, uh, and people saw what was real and I'd gotten caught. And, um, and, and at that moment, like that, when I saw her eyes, like that began this change. And now I can say, I really do love my family more than I love my job. Um, but there, the, the balancing of that has just felt super hard lately, and, you know? And so what I've had to do is just to create some non-negotiables you know, like last night I put up, um, the night before I put up my phone and said, I, I'm not going to look at my phone until my kids are in bed. And at five o'clock I put it up and then I went outside and we played basketball with our kids and made dinner, ate dinner together, read stories. And like, I just felt so much healthier at the end of the day than if I would have gotten to the rest of those emails. And, um, and it was really tough for me to do, but just doing those little things like this morning. You know, I know I'm not going to see them most of the day to day. I have meetings tonight. And, and so I gathered my family this morning in the kitchen and we just huddled up and held hands and, and we just worshiped the Lord and prayed together. And it was a 10 minute time and we don't do that regularly. Um, but we take the seasons of Advent and the seasons of Lent and we do family devotions every night during those seasons. It feels too hard for us to do it every night of the year. And I've tried it and it's just made me feel like a failure. And so I've just used those two seasons of the church to really um, guide us into into this time of prayer and worship as a family. But most nights after dinner, um, I get on the piano and we spend time worshiping the Lord together. I've been trying to take more walks with my kids. We I read Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family, and it was really convicting for us personally. And so we, we've tried since then to to do more of what he says, even though we fail, he says, you know, take an hour a day away from screens a day, a week and a week, a year. And so this summer will be the first time that we do the week, a year. We've already booked a a time to go to trail West family camp, young life family camp in Colorado and been saving for that. And we're not going to, you know, use our phones while we're there and be completely off screen and be together. Um, and and those, those small times with my family have been super, super meaningful um, and impactful and it doesn't take a big amount of time. There's 10 minutes this morning, um, you know, changed the course of of our kids' day. And I think a lot of times I put this on myself of we've got to have this perfect, you know, family devotion time. But in reality, I mean, we were doing family devotions during Advent and you know, we're, we're praying and then I, I smell something awful and I look up and my son has caught his hair on fire in the Advent candle you know and his hair is burning and i was like that's oh really goodness. a picture of what family devotions looks like for us and that's a picture of our life is like we're just trying to pray and walk with the lord with our hair on fire <laughs> i See, love that
0: God redeems stories like that <laughs> all the time cuz they're used they'll be used for the rest of your life in illustrations there yeah you go. <laughs> yeah
2: now how do you how do you, how are you how are you making sure that you don't go back to that Um, to catching
1: his hair on fire or we use, we use (laughs) um, electric candles now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) To the, to the obsession of the three.
1: Yeah. Um, well it's, it's the disciplines of scripture before screen. Yeah. The discipline of, uh, a weekly Sabbath, um, a discipline of a monthly day of solitude Mm. and Natalie and I get a marriage counseling once a month and we have a date night once a month. We used to try to do it every week and, It happens some some weeks. It doesn't happen others. But we we I have a guy on our in our church who's on our vestry, and he sends me an email every Sunday night with ten questions. And you know some of the questions are, how many nights this week did you and Natalie pray together? Did you go to meet with a spiritual director this week, Um, or or how many times have you met with your spiritual director this month? Did you take a day of Sabbath this week? Did you go on a day of solitude? And um, you know he asks these hard questions and. And then at the end of each month, he like sends me back our data, you know, and this is where you're not doing it. You know, one of them is, did you, how many days did you exercise this week? Did you sweat? And I I feel so out of shape right now that what I've been trying to do lately is just, I got, I got AirPods for Christmas and they're amazing. But I put those in and I take my phone calls and instead of sitting still, I go on a walk and, um, usually I'm breathing hard while I'm meeting with somebody over the phone, but it's really just changed my days. Um, just being able to take those calls on a walk and so it's doing the little things over and over, um, that add up to the big things in the long run. That's so good.
0: All right. So question five is what would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to lead?
1: You know, when I was a, uh, when I was in college, somebody told me to take my twenties and be a sponge They said, do whatever you can to not make a lot of money until you're 30 years old and just spend your 20s working for people who you respect a lot, who you can learn a lot from and and who can really help form you and get some different experiences that will shape you. And so that's what I did. I mean, I worked in Young Life. I worked at the Dale House Project in Colorado Springs, which is a group home for kids who've been in jail. And I learned so much while I was there during that internship of just care over cure and how to deal with conflict with people and how to love the, the hardest to love people in the world. And, um, and then I, I went to four different seminaries and um, took classes from, from different folks and worked in three different denominations of churches and really tried to work for these people that I really respected that could form me. And so we lived kind of all over during our 20s. And I didn't make more than $28,000 until, you know, I was 30 years old and still don't make much more than that. But it is, you know, it is a, it was an invaluable gift to me to have those, those years of, of working for people that I wanted to be like. And I feel like that's, what's been the hardest for me over these past six months is I feel like I'm not, I don't want the people that work for me to be like me. You know, I, I want them to be, um, I want I want to be able to model a life for them that I want them to live, and so I'm trying to take some steps of health to get there. But but I wish I could just go back and tell 20 year old Drew Hill to to that faithfulness outweighs giftedness, hmm. and that the the things that are done in secret are far more important than the things that are done in public. Focus more on your hidden life in Christ and developing these disciplines that are gonna make you a godly man and a godly husband and not a great speaker and not a funnier person and not a better writer, but focus on the hidden life in Christ. And people told me that I just didn't listen because what I did in public got, you know, the applause and I liked the applause. And so I wanted more of that. And I mean, so, I mean, I told our preaching team last week, take me, I mean, I'm off the schedule for March and, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to preach because I haven't earned that right to be heard by the way I'm living and, uh, and I don't have a right to speak um, up there in front, in front of folks because this has been a, a pattern for me for months. I've got to get to this healthier place before I can lead, lead people in that. And, and, you know, I'm trying to lead through putting my failures on display. And so when people know um, that it's okay, so people know it's okay to, to, that you don't have to hide your secrets and, and bring them into, you can bring them into the light and still be loved. And man, I felt so loved by my staff team yesterday. They prayed for me for like 30 minutes and, all laid hands on me and I just sat there weeping. And, um, and it was just such an encouraging time in the Lord. And I think it takes our brokenness to get us to that place where we can receive God's love. That's good.
0: All right. I have one final question. That is six to 10 leadership question podcast. No, <laughs> it is. So you served in three denominations. Uh, and I think, did you serve in Southern Baptistness or did you just grow up? I, did, I was on staff at Calvary after college. Yeah. During college. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then Anglican. And then what was the other one?
1: United Methodist. Okay. And then, and then I, I planted a church with North point community church in Atlanta, which is, um, it's its own denomination. Uh,
0: yeah. It's own thing. Yeah. All right. So what, uh, this is a, this is a dangerous question for me to ask. <laughs> so depending on how you answer it may or may get struck from the podcast, <laughs> but what can, what can the different denominations learn from the others? Or, I mean, you know, what, even if you wanted to go Baptist and Anglican, we work with a lot of Anglicans, um, yeah. especially in, uh, in Australia, but you know, what, what do you think each can learn from the other as you've, you know, kind of been around?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I went to Southeastern Baptist in Raleigh for my first seminary. Then I went to Gordon-Conwell in Charlotte, went to Fuller in Colorado, took some classes at Multnomah in Portland and finished at Denver Seminary. So I also had you know, a lot of experiences with, with different denominations and churches there. And I mean, I, you know, there's the stereotypical things that we could throw out, but I think for me, where the, one of the reasons I landed in the Anglican church is just the freedom to think within the bounds of scripture. I feel like there are people in my church right now and people on our staff who have really differing opinions about a lot of things that people think are really important. Um, but it's truly been like a middle way for me. And I feel like there's been a lot of humility, um, that I've experienced in the Anglican church of like, Hey, you, you know, you can think this way and, and it's okay. And our lead catechist with our high schoolers, um, his name is Nathan and he's just this unbelievable teacher. He's a professor at a local college and every, tough issue that we teach on with our high schoolers. And we teach on tough issues every week because we want them to get to this place where they can um, get to college and be, and not hear about something hard for the first time. And we teach both sides of every issue. Hey, some Christians believe this and some people who identify themselves as Christians believe this and um, try to try to teach the breadth. Because I think a lot of times if we shove our, Black and white opinions, you know, down people's throats, then it's just going to turn them away later in life. And I mean, we stack hands completely on the gospel and the creeds as central to you know what what brings us salvation is is the gospel, is Christ crucified and and the resurrected Christ and and nothing else. And there are other things that obviously we believe, but I've just experienced a lot of freedom to think within the bounds of Scripture within the Anglican Church and. And, and I've honestly really loved my time in, in all those denominations from my time growing up in the Southern Baptist Church. I was given a love for the word of God and scripture that I so wish that other denominations would emphasize. And, and I, I mean, I know more Bible verses than so many other folks I've run into because I got paid in donuts and dollar bills at my church growing up to memorize them. And I'm so thankful that <laughs> they bribed me into hiding the word of God in my heart because it's still there. And I learned, you know, the, the grace of God through my time in the Methodist church and them caring for the poor and loving people. Uh, we had a homeless shelter at our church. And one night a guy came in drunk and burned down our sanctuary while I was on staff there. And, um, and the church built it right back, you know, and mm-hmm. still like reached out to, to people. And, and, I, and I learned to care for, for those who are poor through my time there. And through my time at North Point, like, I, I learned a love for the lost I mean, people would sit in those staff meetings at North Point and and weep and cry. How can we reach the lost? How can we share with them the gospel of Christ? And and it's easy to get stuck in our walls and think, like, yeah, this is our this is our flock we got to take care of. It. But I feel like with there, I was pushed out the door to go, just like I am with Young Life, to go and reach the lost and to have the heart of Christ for them. and so I'm really grateful for all those experiences. I think they've formed me into getting me to a place where I am able to to lead now with, with grace and humility because I don't know it all and I don't have it all figured out. And I sure as heck don't think that I have what it takes to, to be a, the lead pastor of our church. And maybe that's why I should stay in this role.
0: Well, man, I really appreciate you, your ministry, uh, the journey God has taken you on and still obviously taking you on. Uh, it's just um, always great to have somebody on that is bringing a new perspective, um, but especially somebody who is uh, so open and honest with where they are and what they're struggling with. and. Um, well, thank
1: you guys for having me. It really is encouraging to to. Know that y'all are doing what God's called you to, and helping encourage others. And and I just pray that for those who are listening to this podcast that are struggling and that are leaders who are wanting to pretend like they got it all together that that they would know that it's okay to to bring your darkness into the light and to put your failures on display, and that God takes our broken things and makes them beautiful. Amen.
2: Amen. Thanks again, Drew.
1: Thank you all so much.
2: Wow, what a great interview. Um, I don't know. The last time, the guest has been that honest on the show. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Very good. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm always blown away. Um, you never know each interview. Although we've done three hundred and however many, yeah. you just don't know what you're gonna get each time. Yeah, you, you're right. Each time you do it, and how it's gonna hit you differently. And sometimes they start off fun and get serious, and sometimes people just stick to the questions and. It's a 25 minute deal and-,
2: and sometimes like today it's 45 minutes plus <laughs> but it was worth it I mean we were super engaged uh, loved hearing Drew and his ministry and how he's been working through a lot of challenges that we've worked through and, and I know you're likely working through as well and be sure to pick up a copy of his book and learn more about it at alongsideteenagers.com thank you again for listening and we'll catch you guys next time